John 15. John 15. We will look first in John 15, beginning in verse 16, and I want to read down to verse 25. John 15, verses 16 through 25. John 15:16 You have not chosen me but I have chosen you and ordained that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name he may give it you These things I command you that you love one another If the world hates you you know that it hated me before it hated you if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now they have both seen and hated both me and my Father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Throughout our Lord's ministry on the earth, He has taught His disciples that His kingdom was not of this world. He had taught his disciples that he and his message would not be received by most of the world. He had taught his disciples that the world, both Jew and Gentiles, would kill him over his message and over his ministry. In addition, his disciples saw with their own eyes these things. They were with him. On many occasions when the Jews tried to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. They were with him when he left one area to go into another area in order that he might escape the hands of the Jews who were trying to kill him. They were amazed when he determined to return to the area around Jerusalem when Lazarus died because he was going to raise Lazarus from the grave. Because they knew that if he went back there, the Jews would try to kill him. But when he was determined to go, they also determined to go with him, even if it meant that they too might die. Yet with all of that first-hand information, with three years of ministry or more under their belt, as it were, his disciples still were convinced that eventually he would overcome the Jewish hatred, eventually he would overthrow the Roman government, eventually 
He would establish a kingdom in Israel and they would be ruling alongside him. Their lack of understanding in that particular area gave them a false hope regarding true Christianity. What areas of belief do we have that cause us to think contrary to the Scriptures? I'm, I'm persuaded that we're not free from that kind of thing. Their lack of understanding led to a conflict among themselves. The very night our Lord begins to teach them that He was going to go away, uh, that He was going to go to the cross, but that, that He would send the Spirit. The very night He was teaching them of the true nature and the true character of Christianity, they had argued among themselves as to which one of them was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. We find that in Luke chapter 22 and verse 24. If y'all want to move. Luke 22, 24, the scripture says, And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be counted greatest. And that's in reflect in regard to who's going to be greatest in the physical kingdom of Jesus Christ once he establishes it. Brethren, it is in that atmosphere that our Lord takes up his instructions in chapter 13 through 16. It is in that atmosphere that he instructs them of their responsibility to carry on the very same message and the very same ministry that he has had for the last three years. It is in that atmosphere that he taught and practiced, the, uh, taught them and practiced before them the kind of ministry they would have. And it was in that atmosphere that he was so severely hated. That ministry, that word that he was preaching to the Jews, resulted in being, him being hated. And now in that atmosphere where the Jews hate him and the disciples are arguing among themselves as to who is greatest, our Lord begins to teach them the true nature and character of Christianity. He's already told them what it would be like, what it's like to have a life of faith, what it is to be loved of God and to love their own, what it is to be obedient. He's told them these things. And now we come to verse 16, and now he says to them plainly, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And yet, from the rest of the Scriptures, it can be argued from the Word of God that they had indeed chosen Him. They had chosen to repent and believe the Gospel message as John the Baptist preached it. They had chosen to follow Christ as He said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They had chosen to take his message to the lost sheep of Israel when he sent them out to preach the gospel. 
they had chosen to continue with him even after the majority of his disciples had forsaken him in John chapter 6 and turned away from him never to walk with him again. And when he turns to them and says, will you go also? They said, where shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And they had chosen to stay with him when he was very unpopular among the Jews. They had chosen to follow him back to Jerusalem even though they knew and understood that it might result in his death and maybe even their own. Let us go back with him even if it means our life. So what did our Lord mean when he said to them, you have not chosen me but I have chosen you. What our Lord was saying is this. You were not the ones who made the first choice. I was. He had first chosen them. And after that, their response was to choose Him. This is like every other thing that we've looked at beginning in chapter 13. We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. We trust Him because He first imparted faith to us. These are the things we've been learning as we go through these chapters. As in all things related to true Christianity, God initiates and we respond. God having chosen us, comes to us, gives us the new heart, and in that new heart we choose Him. That's how it works. But the Bible doesn't explain all of that. It just simply says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And we'll read a little bit later I, that they had indeed chosen him. And so, without explaining all the doctrine, without explaining all the foundation behind it, the Bible just makes these statements. God is the cause of all things good in our life. Have you chosen to follow Christ? That's a good thing, by the way. Have you chosen to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's a good thing, by the way. Have you chosen that your life belongs to God and that whatever the day brings forth, God is first? That's a good thing. That is a response to what God is doing in your life. Our responses are related to God's initiating us. It is cause and effect. In the spiritual world. God is the cause. And the effect is. We respond. And so he begins with these words. You have not chosen me. But I have chosen you. And not only that. I have ordained you. That you should go. And bring forth fruit. And that your fruit. Should remain. Not only have I chosen you. But I have ordained you. I have appointed you to your task. To the very specific task that each one of you will accomplish. I have appointed you to that which I have purposed for you. Of the eleven that are remaining. And then Paul will come along a little bit later. Each one had a specific task. Each one would go to a specific group of people. Or a specific nation of people. Each one would be used of God in a multitude of different ways. Each one different. Each one ordained of God. This is true of the apostles. 
We see the effects of God having chosen them. We see the effects of God having ordained them, appointing them to their task, revealed in the rest of the New Testament. We read in the New Testament, and we read of Peter and James and John, and we read of this and that, and we see God working through them. That's what God has done. God has appointed them to this task. We close out the New Testament in the book of the Revelation and in the early history. Uh, if you don't have Fox's Book of Martyrs, I would recommend it. Another one would be Martyr's Mirror. If you don't have it, I would recommend it. The early history of the apostles as they would go here and there and yonder, carrying out the task God has appointed for them. It was for the apostles. But this is also true to every God-called man. From the time of the apostles until this day, God has called me and God has called me to a specific task. And God has not sent me on a fool's errand. Instead, He has called me and ordained me that I would be fruitful in my calling. I'm going to have to wait till I stand in glory to find out how fruitful. But fruitful I shall be. Because He has said, I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Fruitful I shall be. Whatever that fruit is remains in the hands of God. I think I have an idea about what God does and has done with my life over the last 45 years. I have a sense of what God has done and therefore have a sense of what God shall do. But I'll let another man testify and not myself and I'll wait until that day Till God shows what He has done through my ministry. The testimony of this pro promise is seen in our day. The gospel message that was preached by the apostles is still preached today. They, Christ died, was buried, rose again. He ascended to heaven. They went forth into their ministry preaching. God saved and churches were organized and then other men were called and they preached. And so it was century after century after century until we come to 2020 in the United States of America and the gospel preached by John the Baptist, by Jesus Christ, by the apostles is being preached in Santa Ana, Texas now. God's promise is true. Not just here, in a multitude of places. Their converts preached. And there were other converts. And from those other converts, men were raised up. And they preached, and there were others. Do you understand? The work of God has been going on from the beginning until today. Sometimes it was out in the open and glorious. Sometimes it was behind a... Uh, in, in, a, in a wilderness place hiding as saints are running for their lives but meeting on the Lord's day to hear the word of God preached to them sometimes it was in great peace other times great persecution but it was carried on and we carry on the ministry and message of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the apostles and our Baptist churches in our generation. Others will carry on after we are gone. I, don't, I am not long for this world. In the month of October, God given me life to get there. I'll turn 70. 
so I don't have many years left. And in my heart of hearts, I want to spend and be spent with whatever energy God gives me until I'm taken out of this world and to the next. But I do that with the understanding that God's work's going to continue and does not depend on me. Depends on Him. And another will come behind me and will preach. And he will go off the scene. And it'll happen until God, the Lord Jesus Christ, returns to this earth and settles the accounts. This is true not only of the apostles, not only of every God-called man, but it is true of every one of his children to some degree. Whatever your calling is, and I cannot tell you what it is. You, can, you and I could sit and talk and I can give you some idea of what I think God may be doing with you. But only God can confirm in your heart and life what He's going to do with you. But whatever your calling is, you will be fruitful in it. Mothers, for sure I know that your calling at this moment is with your children. That much I know. Your calling will be fruitful in that. Wives with their husbands, husbands with their wives, men on the job, women where they're doing what they can in their community. Each one of God's children called to a task to do something in the kingdom of God, equipped by God, fruitful by God. That's what he's talking about here. And then he adds these words. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Another result of being chosen by God and being ordained to a specific calling is that as we obey God in our calling, we may be assured that whatever is needed for that calling, whatever is needed to be accomplished in that calling, we don't have it. We don't have it naturally. We need something spiritual from God. We need help from God to do that. Men called to preach the gospel can't do that without and have any fruit without God doing something in them, without God helping them in the task. It's true of every one of us, whatever the task is. And so we pray. Lord, help me. Lord, strengthen me. Lord, provide what I need to do what you've called me to do. Lord, give me what I need to represent Jesus Christ on this earth. In this generation, give me what I need. I'm asking for it. In the name of Christ, I'm asking my Father for it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you need, brother? To represent Christ in this world. What do you need to serve the Lord in the task that He has given you to, to serve Him in? Ask. Ask. If it'll bring glory to God, He will give it. As we face each day, as we face each trial, as we face each obstacle in doing what God would have us to do, to carry out our specific calling, as we face these things, we're going to find we're going to be asking for help. And help's going to be given.
We're going to be asking for wisdom because we don't know what to do and how to do it. And wisdom is going to be given. We're going to be asking for strength because if we're honest in the depths of our heart, we know we don't have what it takes to do what God would have us do. And strength is going to be given. He will provide for us through the means of prayer. We need to be a people who understand God has chosen us, God has appointed us a task, and now pray so that that task can be accomplished. Then he comes to the next, the third time that he makes this statement, verse 17. These things I command you that you love one another. Again, this is the third time our Lord has said this. It will not be the last time that he says it, nor will it be the last time that it is expressed in the New Testament. This truth is often repeated by the apostles. Our Lord in John 13 has already said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. John 13, 34. He's already said in John 15, verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another. And now he says it a third time here in verse 17. After teaching them that they were inseparably joined together as a branch is joined to the vine. In the opening verses of this chapter, after teaching them that He would love them as the Father had loved Him, after teaching them that they were His friends in the previous verses that we saw, He now tells them again for the third time, love one another. After having chosen them, after having ordained them to their work and to their calling, to their task, And after having confirming to them that they would be fruitful, he tells them one more time, love one another. Love one another. Love is a biblical and should be biblical and mutual among true believers. It proves that we are who we say we are. That we are followers of the living God. We are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, in fact, our greatest need in the world in, in the world in which we love and serve our God. Our greatest need. Three times now, twice in the same chapter. It is the love of God and the love of the saints that helps us to stand firm in a world that hates us. I do not want you to miss the connection here. This verse connects that which is previous to it. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained that you should go and bring forth fruit. Love one another. And then the next verse, if the world hates you. Don't miss the connection here between these two things. I've chosen you and deigned you to a a task. Love each other. I'm going to send you. Where do we go? We go into the world. As As sheep sent among wolves. We go into the world. Which brings us to verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me 
before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but what? I have chosen you out of the world. There it is. That's the connection back to verse 16. You are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, because I chose you, the world hates you. This is one of the hardest truths for a true Christian to adopt. Especially for those of us who live in America. We are Christians. We love our God. We love people. We don't mean anybody any harm. We want to do good to people. In fact, we want to help them wherever we can. We do help them wherever we can. Wherever we find them, in whatever situation we find them. Our heart goes out in our own country and in others. We look at Mexico, we look at India where we have missionaries that we support. Other nations that God has put upon our heart. And the people are struggling and they're suffering. And we know the answer to that is the gospel. And so we sacrifice to send people there to help those people. That's our heart. That's what we are. That's what we're about. But this generation filled with such false Christianity cannot grasp the fact that the world hates them. In fact, they have brought so much of the world into their churches that they think the world loves them. Very few Christians have ever even heard a message on this text out of John chapter 15. The world hates you. And those who are professing Christians who have heard about it, hear about it very seldom. It is not a message that is popular in the pulpits in America. And yet, as our Lord is traveling with this band of, of His people from Bethany to Jerusalem on the night before they will crucify Him, it becomes an essential part of what He is teaching them. They're getting ready to be sent into the world. The world is going to lay its hands, both Jew and Gentile, are going to lay its hands on the Lord Jesus Christ, and before their eyes, they're going to crucify Him. The Jews and the Gentile Romans are going to scatter. The, the disciples are going to scatter because of fear of them. And before they get to that moment, our Lord tells them, I've chosen you. I've ordained you. You love one another. I'm going to send you into a world and the world is going to hate you. You love one another. This truth has already been spoken to them by our Lord. They have not grasped it. He says it again here. Matthew chapter 10 in verse 34 through 36. He says, Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. That's what they were thinking. He has come to set up a kingdom. Everything's going to be peaceful. Think not that that's why I've come. I came not to send peace, but a sword. 
Verse 35, I am come to set a man at variance against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be those of his own household. If you embrace me, some of your own family is going to turn to be your enemy. In Luke chapter 12, he addresses it again. Verses 51 through 53. He says, Suppose you that I am come to give peace on the earth. Are you thinking that that's the reason why I have come? I tell you, nay, no, but rather, not peace, but rather division. My purpose in coming to this earth is to divide darkness from light, hatred from love, sinners from saints. My purpose in coming is to divide. My kingdom is spiritual. My people love me. The world hates me. There is a division. There is a strife. There is a hatred. And my purpose in coming is to sever a line, to make a line, Egypt and Goshen. The world and the Israel of God. Goats and sheep. I've come to divide them. So, he says, for from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, son against the father, mother against the daughter, daughter against the mother, mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law, and a daughter-in-law against her mother. I've come to divide. He's already told them. He's already warned them. But again, as I started this message out, their minds and hearts are set on a doctrine that is contrary to true Christianity. They're thinking about a physical kingdom, and He is dealing with a spiritual one. The disciples had already seen this truth. With their own eyes, they had seen the Jews' hatred against the Lord Jesus Christ. They had seen the Jews' hatred against His disciples. Now they learn that the Lord is sending them into that same world that has hated Him with the same message that they hate. And yet, from starting in chapter 13, 14, and now into 15, our Lord has been teaching them and assuring them He has said to them, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will send my spirit. I assure you that my spirit will be with you and in you. God with us in the midst of it all. God dwelling with us in our life and in our heart, in the middle of a world that hates us. He has assured us that in the middle of a world that hates us, He will teach us the Word of God and we will learn the truth. While they believe a lie, He will teach us the truth. He has assured us that He will continue to love us no matter what. The world will hate us, but He loves us. I will, I will love you as my Father has loved me. That love that never changes, that cannot be taken away once it is bestowed. He has assured us that He Himself will abide with us in this world. He has assured us that we have been chosen of God. 
And this truth bears us up and strengthens us in the midst of the world in which we live. As we live and serve a God in this world that hates us, we have this underlying truth that supports us. God has chosen me. God has loved me. Let the world do its best. God is with me. Doctrine is not just for the head, brethren. It's not just line upon line, precept upon precept, so we can argue our way through Christianity, but it undergirds us and supports us in a world that hates Christianity. He has told us, I chose you. You're mine. I've ordained you. I will be with you. I will equip you. I will give you what you need in a world that hates you. He has assured us that we will be fruitful. As we look at the world, one of the first things that comes into our heart is how in the world, how in the world can any Christians come out of that mess? Hmm? Did that thought ever cross your mind? Hmm? The LBGQXYZ123 movement? Can anything come out of that? Such were some of you, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Marxists, the communists, those that hate our God, the rulers that want to close down the churches. Can anything come out of that? Can God do anything with that? Can God do anything in the midst of it? The Hindus that shut down India and forced the Christians to meet in, in private. The, the communists that shut down China and forced the, India, the Chinese to meet behind trees in the forest. The, the governments that, that forced the villagers out of their village and into the jungles. Can anything come out of that? Can God do anything in the midst of that? Yes. I have not only chosen you, I have not only ordained you to to a task, but I have ordained that you will be fruitful. And as Paul stands before those who hate God and hate His message, he preaches and some believe. And then they're going to kill him and he comes out and takes the believers and starts a church. And God begins to work in His assembly and the gospel goes forth. From the beginning to the end, it will be that way. From the beginning to the end. Before we continue in our text, I want to ask two questions. Why is the Son of God hated in the world? And what is the purpose of God regarding that hatred? That conflict, that rejection... The Jews and the Gentiles hate the only begotten Son of God and anyone who will follow Him. What is the purpose of God in all of that? Well, the Scriptures are full of reasons, but I want to give you three as to why they hate Him. First, the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to reveal the Father to this world. John 14, 9, He that has seen Me has seen the Father. 
Colossians 1 and verse 15, speaking of Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. He is invisible to their eyes, but Jesus Christ has come. And God walked on the earth. And the purpose was to reveal God to men and to mankind. Hebrews chapter 1, God who at sundry times in diverse manners spake in times past to the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds, who being in the brightness of, a, of his glory and the express image of his person. God sent His Son so that the world could see God functioning on the earth. Because He reveals the true God, the world hates Him. The world is content with its own gods. With its own idea of God. Its own man-made religions have their images of who God is, have their teachings on who God is. They're very pleased with that. In India, you will very, be very common to see in any household a, a, a series of pictures of all the Hindu gods and, and in the middle of it, there's a picture so-called of Jesus, the Roman Catholic envision of them. They're willing to accept Him in that situation. As long as He's equal to the rest. As long as he's no different than all the rest that they've already accepted. There's a willingness of heart to... Oh yes, we'll take Jesus also. We have three million other gods and we'll just add him to the list. And many, many missionaries will write back home and say how many Hindus have embraced Jesus. And people in America will be thrilled. But the truth has not been told them. They have not embraced Jesus in order to leave the rest of their gods behind. They have not embraced Jesus as God of gods and all the rest are nothing. They have embraced Him equal with all the rest of the gods. Hundreds and thousands of dollars will flow into India on the basis that somebody will report how many Hindus will come to Jesus. When faced with the reality of the true and living God though, when faced with that reality, the world raises up. It cannot be true. It cannot be true that He is the only God. And that stirs the heart of hatred toward the Lord Jesus Christ. The second reason that they hate Jesus Christ is because He declared Himself to be equal with God. Not only has He revealed the Father, but He is equal with Him. I and the Father are one. Oh, and they picked up stones to kill him when he said that. It cannot be. Because he is God, the world hates him. And the reasons as to why the world hates God also apply to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, the world has its own ideas as to who Jesus Christ is. They have made a Jesus of their own imagination. When the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ is preached to them, something rises up on the inside. As long as we leave people alone and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, he's a great, I love him, yes. And we don't press 
onto which Jesus they are believing, then they are content. But as soon as we press upon them the Scripture as to who Jesus is, ugh, I once had the experience of standing in line in a restaurant talking to someone. They about they had just come out of church service, and and I was explaining to them that I believe their preacher was a false prophet. You know, in my kind way, I did say, you know, your your preacher is a false prophet, and it's true. He was preaching another Jesus. And I told him that as kindly as I could. But they would say, but thus and thus about Jesus. And I said, no, the scripture says this. And they came back, not my Jesus. And they would say, thus and thus about Jesus. And I'd say, no, the scripture says thus and thus about Jesus, not my Jesus. And the thing happened the third time. And finally I said, you know, you're right. Your Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. And she got upset, went back to the table, five or six around the table. And two or three of them got up, and I was at my table at that time. My wife was there and came to my table. What gives you the authority to say our preacher is a false prophet and that we don't worship the true Jesus? The Word of God. And I know some of you couldn't do that. And that's fine. I'm not asking you to. But I could at that moment in that time. And the reality was they were worshiping a false Jesus. The world did not hate the apostles when they came and preached to Jesus Christ. They did not hate them for preaching Jesus. The world hated the apostles when they preached Jesus Christ is the only God and the only way back to God. That they could not handle. That they would not abide. The world will receive Jesus as long as he is not the only way. But once you settle it that he's the only way, ooh, something rises up. I've seen it my whole ministry. And the third reason why the world hates Jesus is because God has determined to glorify His Son in the world. And the world doesn't mind if their God gets a little glory. And the world doesn't mind if they get a little glory. But they cannot abide the idea that the only one that ever gets any glory is Jesus Christ. And true Christianity focuses all the glory upon the Lord Jesus Christ alone. The man of God receives no glory. The church receives no glory. The child of God receives no glory. In fact, their glory is to glorify Christ. Their glory is that Christ should be exalted and have preeminence among them. That's what they want. Yet the world wants to change the glory of the uncorruptible God into a creature. We say no. That is contrary to the Scriptures. And the, and the world of God, uh, the, the religious world in their flesh wants glory for what they have. You know the priest and the rabbi and, the, and they walk around in their robes and the people come and they kiss their foot or kiss their hand. You know what that is? They, that's men giving glory to another man for being a religious leader. God hates that. God hates that. 
That glory belongs to Jesus Christ. And they're seeking to rob that from Him. And when you take that away from them, they get incensed. They cannot handle that the only one that God is interested in exalting above all other names where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord to the glory of the Father is Jesus Christ. They cannot handle that. Every priest and bishop and pope has hated that. Every man that says he's a man of God that is, that is worshipped by their congregation is robbing God of the glory that belongs to His Son. And they hate Him for that. They hate Him for that. Now our Lord reminds them again. He's already, been spoke, he's already been speaking to them. and He's already spoken to them. And uh, He comes again and says to them, I'm going to send you into a world that hates you. And God's answer to the world that hates Him is to exalt His Son right before their eyes. And God's answer to a world that hates us is to lift us up. Now we may live in this world and never be noticed. But there's a day coming when God is going to take all of His sheep and put them on His right side. And He's going to say to them, You come in. And He's going to take the goats and put them on His left side and say to them, You go. You go. And in there are times in this world when in the middle of those that hate us, God prepares a table for us. Huh? Yeah. Where? In the presence of our enemies. And God comes along and sometimes it's a little thing and sometimes a much bigger thing. And God comes along and He takes His children aside and is surrounded by those that hate Him. And God does something unusual something of a blessing and the world looks at that and they just can't believe that God just did that for one of his children and they are just Ugh. but they can't go any further because a wall has been put around them and the child of God is sitting at the Lord's table feasting not the Lord's table as in the elements of wine and bread although it may happen there but in the face of our enemies I could give you testimonies of that. And so there are moments when God takes His child and He lifts him up and the world sees it. And it, oof. But there is a greater moment when God brings us into the throne of heaven and we have been exalted to heaven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And they are put down low and their knee will bow before Jesus and confess He is Lord and say, and, and He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Out of their mouth, their tongue will be loosed. God will be glorified in putting them in hell. And God will be glorified in putting us in heaven. God says, I'm going to send you into a world that hates you. But you don't have to worry about that. They hated me first. And they think they're going to do God, uh, uh, God 
God's work by killing you. But you don't worry about that. You don't worry about those who can kill the body. You worry about me. I'm the one that takes care of the body and the soul. And I'm going to send you into that kind of a world. And because I'm going to send you into that kind of a world, I want you to love one another. I want you to remember that everyone, it's okay, just hang on to it, that every one of God's children, just hold it for me, just every one of God's children are just like you. That every one of God's children are struggling and every one of God's children are suffering and every one of God's children have enemies. And they may not have enemies like you and they may not have as many as you, but every one of you serves me in a world that hates you. And so love one another. Care for one another. Watch out for one another. Do what you can to protect one another. Do what you can to provide for one another. Love your brothers and your sisters. That's what it's about. That's what this message is. That's why that verse is just tucked in in the middle there. Nothing happens by accident. Every word of God is important. I have chosen you. I have ordained you. I'm going to send you into a world that hates me, hates my message. You're going to go with my message as my representative. And so don't be surprised if they hate you too. And from these two, tucked in the middle, love your brothers, your sisters. Love one another. God does everything on purpose and for a purpose. He says everything on purpose and for a purpose. Nothing redundant with God. Everything purposed. It will pick up there where I'm going to send you into the world that hates you next Lord's Day, God willing. Let's pray together.